Bolt your windows. Lock your doors. Check your closets. Look under your bed. And then, prepare yourself. For it's another episode of Dark Night of the Podcast. Whoa! Well, hello, Roger. How's it going? Hello, Troy. Oh, how are you today? I am wonderful. I have a three-day weekend coming up because of Easter. Luxury. And Yes, and it's already April. Thank God for the Christians. Thank God for the Christians. It's already April. Can you believe that? It's I mean, crazy. It's, it's mind-numbing. It just keeps uh, going uh, faster and faster, aging rapidly. Aging, it, aging. It... It really does. It really does. It's crazy how fast this year has gone, which is fine with me. I just want 20, 20, 20 21 to be over with. Um, so, and then hopefully, you know, things will get better. But yeah, I was just looking at my calendar at school and I'm like, Jesus, the end of the school year is almost here, Roger. And you know what that means? Fucking summer. Me- no, it means the students will be ready to take their final exam. Oh my God, <laughs> you. Look at you with a uh, what a way to introduce the title of the fucking day. <laughs> I knew that was coming, but I wanted to give you the chance to say it. Uh, shy, so you can bask in the glow of your choice this week. I, I can. I thought that was pretty clever. You are clever, uh, <laughs> always clever. But that is our, yeah, that's what the movie we we're going to be discussing tonight. This lovely. Lovely film from 1981. A throwback called, uh, called yeah. It's that's going back there. That's really at the kind of the the start of the slasher craze of the 80s. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I I have always enjoyed this film. Um, and and watching it this time with just kind of a different perspective, knowing that we were going to talk about it. Good gosh, it's it's. It's something. It is. Um, it is. Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's directed by uh, a, a gentleman named Jimmy Houston, who apparently had directed some kind of exploitative films in the seventies, late seventies, that barely anybody saw. But um, this was kind of his, I guess, crowning achievement as a director. <laughs> and we will we we will talk about a lot of the yeah. production stuff that went. Absolutely, I have my gripes. But I certainly also have a... There's quite a few elements of this film that I um, I rather enjoyed. So it certainly is a, a, a... It's a mixed bag on my end, but I can't wait to talk about it with you, as always. And, and uh, just you know, tell me now, how are we doing? How are you? Are you good? Are, are things well? Am I, I haven't talked to you for a hot second. Yeah, no, things are great. Things are great. Uh, things are... Chug it along, like I said. I am looking forward to the school year and summer, and hopefully some cool summer vacations. Uh, so yeah, I, I'm excited. I'm excited. I think um, things are going to slowly start getting back to somewhat normal. Um, hopefully, well, for I don't know because I guess um, 
you know, some other countries are still getting hit pretty hard yeah. by new variants. But whatever, we will we will make it. How about you? And nothing really, you nothing really new. Um, horror filmmaking wise, we did. I did have uh, my Houston Horror Pop Up Market, Houston Horror Film Festival Pop Up Market um, uh, this past weekend, mm-hmm. and that was a huge success. Looked like great it. turnout. Yeah, we had a great turnout. We had some great guests. We had um, Tom Matthews, Linnea Quigley. Oh, we love her. Um, yeah, Judy Aronson. So it was a great event. Yeah. Um, and now me and Tony, my my co-director of the festival, we're gearing up for the big one in June. And we like them big. That's, yeah, that's the three. Oh, God. That's the three-day <laughs> event. So, yeah, guys. So if you have a film and you you know want it considered, think about it. Or just go to the Houston Horror Film Fest website and if you're around Houston, get your tickets and come. It's going to be a blast. We got a, a amazing celebrity lineup for the first for our first year. It's just incredible. Oh, so. I'm so excited! Uh, remind the listeners again. When is that? It's June 25th through the 27th. June 25th through the 27th. It's coming. It's coming up. So make sure you get those tickets. That's exciting. I saw the photos. They looked great. You and your um, hauntingly beautiful friend Tony. God, he's Ready. Let me just say it for for everyone, just so they know he's beautiful. What a beautiful man! Uh, but <laughs> as are you, Troy. I mean, as are you. These the men behind this film festival alone come for the eye candy. Stay for the for the horror movies. Um, uh, but but no, I'm very excited to support you guys. Uh, I, I think it's a great event, and I um, God, I gotta get out to Houston for one of those. It's uh funny because my um, in the next few months are kind of like hectic for me. Um, first of all, I just got back from Atlanta, which I loved, uh, but, uh, my God, the gaiety, the gaiety, the gays, gays, everywhere, gays, uh, but God, I had a really good time, but already in two and a half weeks, I'm going to Columbia, I'll be in Columbia for, uh, for about six days, uh, and then next month I'll be in Cancun, uh, so bing, bang, boom, I got some stuff going on, June, though, June is, I think, the one month I really don't have anything in the sense of traveling. I am filming a few things. I just signed on to a queer slasher called Leviticus. Bet you can only guess what that has to do with Christian nonsense. Um, <laughs> but it is a slasher called Leviticus. I'm excited for that. Uh, that starts filming in June, yeah. Um, I've um, I, In one week, I literally signed on to five films. I don't know what's happening. I don't know what's going on, but I think filmmakers are breaking out of their homes now after everything's getting better because everyone's getting their vaccines and they're just making things and you know i'm thankful for it so i'm filming uh over the next two months i'm, I'm going to be filming a lot i'm really kind of excited to like film my dead air time with projects and start feeling uh of use again you know yes that's awesome that's awesome um i yeah i need some of their um like motivation to get back into you know Getting some projects going because I ha- I have them I really do but I'm just like uh whatever they'll, they'll, we'll, I know you, you know, do but, I know, but, but it's know, gonna be good when it happens it is but you know what I'm taking a break because I made three I, I made three movies in a span of three years so I think uh, I think I deserve a little bit of a break even though there oh, yeah. are, even though there's some people that uh, apparently make their living making fifty films in a year but. Um, we won't talk about that. But. I mean, you know what? I got, listen, I got a, I have a, a career that I actually have to do that's not making movies. Uh, if I could, I would. But um, I'm happy if I get one done every couple of years. So, you know, more power to them. More I guess. power to them. It sounds them. exhausting. It, yeah. Exhausting. Yeah. Yeah. 
But you know what else is exhausting? Hmm. Final Taking exams. exams. <laughs> yeah. Especially when they're your final exams. <laughs> it was. A, did I work for a segue? Did that work? Well, was that, that was kind of clunky, but I. <laughs> it'll, it'll have to do. It'll have to do. <laughs> That'll do, pig. That'll do. We're not. Yeah, we're not recording. We're not re-recording. We're gonna go with. That. <laughs> we're just gonna run. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Oh god. So final exam. Let's get right yeah. to it because people yeah. probably don't want to hear us blabber about what we're doing for t- twenty minutes. But whatever. Ain't it the truth. You're gonna listen anyway. Yeah. There's mm-hmm. a little forward button you can drag to get past all the pre-talk but um just wait till we start including commercials when we get real big <laughs> yeah. <laughs> for like jockstrap lines and <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah anyone will sponsor us <laughs> but yeah uh till then you got nothing but us lucky you guys yes we're not that important yet to have <laughs> someday um so yeah final exam this is a uh, a 1981 like it's a 1981 slasher flick uh and so if you think about that time frame this really was the beginning of the slasher craze so final exam is definitely one of the first of the 80s slasher flicks and if you know anything about the production i I kind of dug a little bit into it it was basically the studio's attempt to cash in on and create their own halloween Oh, and how does it show? Yes, it does. <laughs> it, it, it shows. It, in fact, they really wanted. I basically the 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 producers wanted a to rip off Halloween. I mean, they wanted shot for shot scenes that, that came exactly from Halloween. Um, the only and they often did. They often did. <laughs> they often did. The only saving grace with the film where it turned out, I think, a little bit. Uh, different than Halloween instead of just a carbon copy clone because there are, there are films that I think are very much copies of Halloween yeah. but yeah. this one does its own thing and it's it's because of the director the director is like no I'm I'm not I'm doing my own thing with this film mm-hmm. I, 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 I understand what the studio wants but I'm stepping in as a director and I'm not going to simply copy a movie yeah well I already say it um, in my opinion I mean, listen. I'm I'm a Halloween purist. I'm a Halloween two purist. At that, I love the I love the first two entries to the series. Um, I dare say that there are moments of this film where the cinema uh, cinematography I would say is almost more fluid and prettier. Oh yeah. Um, the cinema. Yeah. Yes, I noticed that the cinematography in this film is actually very good. Yes. And there are some really cool transitions uh, in the film that I just. A film for this, a film of this, like what it is, I wouldn't expect that they would care that much to make it, yeah. make it look as good as it yeah, does. They, because yeah. again, they went into this making a carbon copy of Halloween, yeah. so they 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 kind of did not have to do a lot of the little stuff that makes this film. I think stand out a little bit more yeah. than a lot of the other slasher films. But let's get to it. Um, the film opens with a very I like the score, the the piano score that that's at the opening of the of the film yeah. where we see just it opens with shots of a very picturesque college campus. Very picturesque. It, yeah. Yeah, it's very pretty. And we are introduced to this couple that are making out in a convertible. And you know, the girl is kind of playing a little bit of oh, I we, I don't want to do this here and the guys like, well, again, 
It's some interesting dialogue. I don't know if you actually listened to the dialogue. I'm sure you did. But it's just, it was very, like, interesting. It's it's like the dialogue in this movie also does not deserve to be as good or in-depth as it is. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And, you know, the way I looked at that opening is, like, we've seen that before. Um, even before, you know, this era, the early 80s, when they really started to dive into the 19, uh, dive into the, um, like, the slasher genre and really starting to become what it is to known as today, you know. Um, even in, like, sci-fi tropes and everything, you always have that, like, lover's lane concept, the couple making out on the hill. That's something that we've seen before, but there's something about the, the way this one played out that there is, like, a natural, um, maybe it was, like, her, like, kind of, like, the way her, uh, she was kind of resistant to it, but it's not like everything seemed really over the top. The dialogue that they shared with each other seemed kind of, um, kind of dead on. Like, I don't know, I, I really enjoyed the opening, even though it's something I've seen so many times over and over mm -hmm. before in so many different variations. Um, this one stood out to me, and I thought it was really well executed, um, even up to the climax of the sequence, aside from how it concludes. I, I wish I got a little bit more. But uh, I thought it was a really well-played-out sequence uh, for being such a trope, you know? It is, it is. And, it, yeah, you're right, it is a scene we've seen dozens of times before in, in horror films. Lovers, I mean, Lovers Lane, I mean, think about how many movies we've seen where a couple is parked in a car and the killer shows up. This one is a little bit more subtle, though, because it's not, like, the killer, like, there's not a lot of, like, stalking like lead up into the killer approaching them if you know what i mean in a lot of these scenes that are in other films we get a lot of like pov shots of the killer watching them and slowly approaching we really don't get that here it's handled a little bit differently it's more like i said it's more subtle it's more um deliberate mm -hmm. Um, and I do, again, I do like the two characters. I like their dialogue. She is resisting, but he's not being overly, like, bearing, like you see a lot of times with, with like, a teenage, a college-age kid wanting sex. Yeah. He's not, like, trying to force it. He's really listening to her. Uh, he's trying to calm her nerves. She's a little bit nervous being out in the open in a car. She doesn't want to get caught. He's like, oh, well, you know, he does have a little quip where he's like, well, I've spent all my money on hotel rooms with you already, so <laughs> we don't really have a choice, you know? And she's like, no, you spent it on beer. And he's like, well, you drank it, so, you know. But anyways, he gets her in the back seat of the car, and then they're st they start making out. And she, you do, the killer does approach, but it's pretty quick. Mm -hmm. She hears the killer. She's like, who's out there? Someone starts shaking the car. He thinks it's his, his football jock friends from college so he's like i'm gonna go kick some ass and she's like oh no stay in here let's just go and all of a sudden like someone jumps up on the hood of the roof of the car and you get this really eerie shot i think of the killer's face like plops down on the windshield mm -hmm. and it's like I, this killer is a weird-looking character. Let's just put it oh out my there. God. He looks like uh, the... Remember, like, in, like, the early 2000s, there was that Starburst commercial where it's like, Berries and cream! Berries and cream! I'm a little boy that likes berries and cream! Remember that commercial? I don't remember. He looks, the killer looks like a little Lord Fauntleroy kind of character. He has, like, a he has like a dramatic bowl cut that looks like something you'd see yeah. in, like, a large-eyed child painted in, like, a... You know, <laughs> hanging up in an art museum, like, wearing, like, a Shakespearean collar. It's that kind of hairstyle. And it takes away any fear element in him as, an, as a person. 
in my opinion. <laughs> yeah, we, we'll, we will get there. Yes. We'll talk about that. But yeah, his, 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 and he has like a chubby round face that's like very cherubic looking. Very cherubic. And it just flops down on the windshield. And I'm like, what the hell? He's, he's like, if the mask from Valentine fucked Michael Myers' mask and then became a real face, that would be, the, that would be this killer. With a shaggy bolt. With a, with a sensible bolt. It's a bolt. It's a good bull. lord. Um, but anyway, so immediately the killer like slashes the um, hood of the or the top of the convertible, and the guy's like, "Oh, we better get away!" And he like hops in the front seat and starts to like drive away. But the killer is like some super strength person throughout the whole film. Yes, and like grab yeah, grabs the guy by his throat, rips him out of the car, and like immediately starts stabbing the shit out of him on the hood of the car. Yeah. And it's not, it's not terribly bloody. I mean, that's this movie is not terribly bloody at all. That's that's one of the issues that I think horror fans have with this film that I hear a lot about is it's not very violent or graphic. Um, and that was again by choice by the director. The director did not want the film to be. Um, he actually was shooting for a PG rating for this film. What? Yeah, yeah. Why? Well, yeah. I guess PG back then was a different... Yeah, well, Poltergeist is PG. They didn't have the PG-13 rating back then, but he wanted, right. the, he wanted the rating to... He, wanted to, he was shooting for a PG rating because he thought that it would uh, the film would um, appeal to a younger audience and get them hooked on horror. I don't know. Um, but the producers like uh, were like, uh, hell no. Um and there's one shot that they kind of put in the film to ensure that it would get an R rating, and we'll get there later. Um, but yeah, he stabs the guy on the hood of the car, and then the girl is just like screaming her head off. She doesn't try to get out of the car to run. Like there's ample time for like if I see my boyfriend being pulled out of the car, I'm yeah. going to immediately exit the car and run my ass off. Particularly because they're not really in a secluded area. Like they're on college campus. She could right. have got out and ran to anywhere, but she's like. Aah! Just screaming her head. <laughs> but were they in a two door or were they in a four door? I can't remember because I think I think it was a I think they were in a two door because they climbed in the back. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't. I you you could be right. But the killer fucking just cut a big slash through the convertible roof. Climb your ass yeah. out of the roof and run. Don't or just, just sit, fight. Yeah, Do she something. Just, <laughs> she just sits there and screams and like and then it cuts to the beautiful Lanier College where the film takes place. It is beautiful. It is. It's very picturesque. I want to go there. It was it was filmed in um, I think South Car North Carolina, Buford, North Carolina. We so, can go in full drag, and I'll dress up as Lisa. Lisa, and you can dress up as a uh, Courtney. Oh, Courtney! And we'll just wander. We'll just wander the wander halls and those ensembles. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but speaking of Courtney, um, the film opens with, her, with with well, the film after the opening scene. And we get Linear College. We are introduced to Courtney, who is basically just reading on the stairs of the bell tower, which is very foreshadowing. Uh, yes. And she, it's just, I, I we'll get to Courtney. I like Courtney. Um, yeah, me a, too. A lot. And I, I wish, well, I don't want to get ahead of myself here, but I wish she got a little bit more credit as a mm -hmm. really good final girl than she mm -hmm. does. I never see her mentioned. Uh, no. And in fact, but when I made my list for my site, Fright Meter, several years ago, I made my list of top 10 fi best final girls in slasher history. She's on it. 
I, I would say that I would agree with that, to be honest. The final 15 minutes of this, she earns her place on that yes. list. And unfortunately, yeah. the actress is Cecile Baghdadi. Unfortunately, she's never done another film. This is her only film credit. So that's, Oh, my God. Yeah, I really? know. And she's good. She's beautiful. She has almost kind of a young um, Carrie uh, Fisher kind of look yes, to her. Yes, She's very lovely. Yeah. That's a shame. Yeah, so the, the bell rings. I didn't know college had... I don't know. I didn't know colleges had bells, but apparently they do. Um, the bell rings, and then you are introduced to two other girls that are outside leaving the the building, and it is Elizabeth, um, who is, I mean, very underused. She is just like this, the kind of like this dorky looking, dumpy looking girl. And she's almost like the com- equivalent of like a comedic relief in some sort ways. Of. Like she, everything, she's like, <laughs> yeah. it's like when like, there's one point where like one of the characters is playing a card game, and literally she's like, "What are you doing?" And then she just starts taking yeah, the cards, yeah. and, like going through them. And it's like, we're, like she's very um, she's simple. She's yes, that's the good word. I was gonna say dopey, but simple yeah. works. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I don't. Yeah, she's under because she's the only like character that we actually kind of follow or get to know a little bit that doesn't get killed and we don't ever know yeah. what happens to her. So that's kind of interesting. Or at least become involved in yes. the situation. Yeah. yeah. Because then yeah. the other character she is walking with is the lovely, beautiful Janet, who is played by none other than Sherry Willis Birch, who I don't know if you know this or not because she looks completely different, but have you ever seen the other 80s slasher movie called Killer Party? Uh, no. Oh, I've no, okay. I know of it, but I've never that seen it. That is one we are definitely going to cover at some point. But all of my Killer Party fans, uh, sh- she plays Vivia, who is like one of the most memorable 80s char- characters from a slasher flick, period. So you need to see Killer Party. We will cover it because she's she's okay. a, she's Vivia and that looks completely different. But, yes. I'm going to say that Janet, man, she takes that performance and she knocks it up to a thousand. Because uh, uh, she, every it's big. It's a, a lot of big reactions, a lot of big vocal tones, a lot of big facial responses. Uh, there is nothing subtle about Janet. I almost feel she gives off like a... At first, I, I genuinely thought maybe she was supposed to be kind of slow or something because her reactions to things are just not very rational, especially when compared to the other characters who are pretty... written pretty realistically for the most part like the dialogue in this and the characters in this even the unlikable characters in this uh are handled pretty well but then there's janet and she's gnawing on the scenery she is hogging the camera and yeah just big choices well again it's a when you if you need to watch killer party because it's a completely different type of character and uh, uh, people that have seen killer party love vivia she's like just this amazing character um so yeah, it's really interesting to see her in this. This was her first film. I don't think she's bad. I just think that she's playing the character almost too immature. Immature, like she's a yeah. college age student, but she's walking around literally acting like she's a twelve year old girl that's in love for the yeah. first time. Yeah, she's very naive. She has like doe eyes. The whole everything is like oh, because <laughs> yeah, she has her little her new little boyfriend Gary, um, who we'll get to. He's not introduced yet. I like Gary. He's such a cutie. Um, but anyway, so the girl, they're walking, and uh, Courtney comes out, and we get this other dude that shows up. That unfortunately, he his name 
And I know what his name is because I, I went into the IMDb. His name is never mentioned once in this film, ever. I, I watched this film four times in the past week. to be and His his name is never mentioned. And it's really... Did you catch it? Are, wait, are we talking, we're talking about, about... No, Radish? we're talking about the frat president. Um, oh, wait, are we, the, um, the one in the brown yeah, shirt? Yeah, the one with the night... Yeah, no, it is mentioned. His name is Mark. I never heard... I never heard anybody call him Mark. I only he says in the gym. He's calling out and he says it's Mark. Like that's how I found because I was listening for it because I didn't know who he was. Yeah, that's the only time that you hear him say it because I was like, yeah. Who the fuck I mean, is he's this a cute. Guy? He's cute. Uh, he... Oh, his ass is kicking. Oh my god! Just wait. Just wait. I mean, he doesn't take his pants off, but God, those yeah, they're pants. khakis throughout the whole film. Um, but oh he is, God. yeah. I'm sorry, I, I never caught that. Maybe I, I, I definitely missed that because I'm like, this is interesting because he's a main character, and his name yeah. now apparently is said one time, which is weird. It, weird. Yeah. Okay. So, it is Mark, right? Is that correct? It is yeah, Mark. Okay, it yeah, is Mark. Yeah. 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 But anyway, so he runs up to Courtney and like has some conversation with it with her about like how he hates chemistry, and they're they're on their way to take their chemistry final exam, <laughs> and he's like, I hate chemistry. I have to get an eighty-two. Because if I don't get an 82, my parents are going to stop paying for my car. And Courtney, bless her heart, is trying to act like she cares. And you could tell she's like, fuck you, you spoiled piece of shit. Yeah. I, like, really? Shut up. Uh, and then, and then, and then, perhaps the best character in the movie, oh. comes running up. Without a doubt. And it is, it is, bless his little heart. His little okay. radish heart? His little radish heart. It is. It's radish. Listen, um, this guy is the equivalent of like a ducky from Sixteen Candles to me. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like he's like yes. he is just such a nerd, but unabashedly so. He's not trying to ch- like change that aspect of who he is. Um, but he's, he embraces he embraces he it. embraces yeah. it. Yes, he does. Yeah, and he that does. makes him endearing. It does. It makes him endearing. He's very endearing, and right away we know that he is. Like, he loves, apparently, like, he must love horror and he loves, like, death because he runs up to them excited that um, the two students were killed at the beginning of the film. He's like, oh, my God, did you hear what happened at at Mercy College? Uh, You know, two co-eds, or it was a mass murder. Two people were killed brutally. And he's all excited about it. And then Mark gets excited. He's like, oh, wow, cool. But two people, two people, that's not a mass murder. And he's like... In the meantime, he's carrying like an armful of books, like because he's also brilliant, as he mentions yes. multiple times. Yeah, yeah, and I, I just there's something endearing about it. he had. Okay, so I'm gonna say this: there are also a lot of um, I feel like elements of this film that Kevin Williamson must have seen when he wrote the scream script, uh, because. For, I'll get to I'll get to what I think they are, but one of them is this character. I feel like this character of Radish is definitely a inspiration for Randy in Scream. I think that like mm-hmm. if you think about Evil Laugh, which we covered a couple episodes ago, the the one guy in Evil Laugh, what was his name? The one that was Barney. I think yeah. that I think that Kevin Williamson must have seen Evil Laugh and Final Exam and took the character of Radish and Barney and made Randy. Yeah. Yeah, plus um uh I I well I think there's I honestly think there's been so many now that we've sat down and watched so many films 
I, I really think he must have just sat down with every obscure slasher title possible and just taken elements of, of so many of them. Because that's exactly what he did. I, I love. I'm not bad. That I'm. Hey, I'm not bad mouthing that at all. So yes, no, he absolutely did. And I'm not. Compl- I love Scream. I'm not bad mouthing him at all. Um, but yeah, I mean, if you think about even like Scream Two, Randy ironically mentions the movie Final Exam. So you know he had to have seen this film. Um, so I just, yeah, I just. I mean, I just thought that was interesting. So. Um, anyway, you are introduced to these characters, and so far they're pretty likable, and then you get the one kind of jock, wild man. Oh, and another thing is these characters in this film love sh- wearing shirts that have their name on them. If only Mark would have, if only Mark would have had a shirt with his name on it, because because Gary has his name on his shirt and then wild man runs up in this like red t-shirt that says wild man and it's on the front and the back and he knocks poor radish's books out of his hand it's like and runs runs into the building and so I guess that's our introduction to wild man a few things with this whole sequence here is um first of all it's one of the early points where you really start to see some of those halloween influences the the what the follow shots the walking shots the pan shots with them as they're walking across the campus extremely reminiscent of halloween uh as any viewer i think will see as they watch this and will acknowledge um and then regarding wild man i honestly think he's one of the best played characters in the film yes the actor is really good he is I like noticed. perfect in this role he he uh is um there's no shame. <laughs> he just lets it all go. Like he plays this asshole so well, and he's just disgusting, and he's completely aware of it. He seems um, very ahead of his time, almost in his portrayal. It, it, I really, really enjoyed this actor. Yeah, he's really good. Uh, yeah, he he really runs with the character, and that's funny because again, all a lot most of this cast, this, this was their first film um, because they did not. I mean, they they had a, I think the budget of this was like three hundred and twenty five thousand dollars, so they didn't have a lot of money. So they literally hired like first purposely hired like first time actors uh, for this film. So it's and I think the performances across the board in this are really strong. Yeah, yeah, and and very. Um, uh, you had mentioned earlier with the dialogue, like they're written for the most part across the board. They're written in a way that uh, doesn't seem forced. Um, a lot of these scenarios and characters just seem authentic. I, I, um, I appreciated that aspect. Uh, there's little moments between certain characters where there's just little pauses and uh, light little moments of dialogue just that just seem very real. And, and, and a lot of times I don't think that movies of this genre uh, take the time to kind of have some of these smaller moments, these smaller, quieter moments, you know? Yeah, well, this film, one of the, I mean, if you, if you, people either, I think, I, from what I've gathered, people either love this film or they hate this film. And if they hate this film, one of the biggest complaints, the number one thing you will always see, oh, it's boring. Nothing happens for now. I mean, it's all characterization. That's what, but you know what? That's what makes this movie different. I actually appreciate that. And I think it's one of the reasons why I like this movie is because I like the yeah. characters. Um, I don't want to see any of them die. 
Um, I, I like them all. I, we get a lot of time spent with them. Yes, the movie is dialogue heavy the first 55 minutes. Good Lord, it is. There's a lot of dialogue, a lot of stuff, go, a lot of just conversations and characterization. I don't mind that, but apparently there are people that do and to each their own. I'm not bad. I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but I appreciate it. I think that's one of the things that makes this movie stand out. I would much rather have time with characters than have characters like in Friday the 13th, let's say part seven that you barely get to know and are just killed off for no reason. And I, I, I don't care because I don't even didn't even right. get to know you. Um, and I think another film, and we keep going back to other films that we covered, but I think another film that did that really well was uh, Hide and Go Shriek. Absolutely. I agree with that completely, yeah. Yeah, and Hide and Go Shriek, I would say, maybe had a little bit more of a hokiness element to it at times, whereas this feels very, um, even in their most absurd moments, um, I don't I don't know. I, it seems just like I said, I use the term authentic. I think there's like an authenticity to some of these characters. Maybe it's because they're on a college campus and they're just playing it like real college kids. But yeah, I don't know. I really I really appreciated how uh, down to earth and real some of these characters are. Yeah, they really are handled well, I think. And that's again, that's again, that's what makes this movie stand out. I, I agree. Anyway, they go. There's a weird van that we get. We get a few shots of that are just kind of creeping around, and then we get into the chemistry exam. And the professor is this really like weird guy that is like, "Oh, I'm leaving." He's like trying to be funny, and it's like, "Shut up." He's like, "Oh, I I'm leaving the room, and we're on the honor system, and I have my um." The grading assistants, and if they catch you cheating, I have a I have a sniper that's up in that watchtower, and he's gonna shoot you. And I'm like, oh god! And then of course Radish is all excited. He's like, oh, it's Charles Whitman. I remember. It's just it's just again just weird, quirky dialogue that just yeah. I don't know. Like I said, this movie the the dialogue in this movie is really well done. Yeah, I think. Yeah really well and well delivered and i even even the professor which i thought was going to turn out to be a larger character uh beyond the arc he has um it was played rather well and i was anticipating just a more because starting it off i was like wow like the acting in this especially for being from the early 80s is not it's not making my skin crawl it's actually it is pretty impressive yeah so the professor leaves and he runs into lisa uh lisa in the hallway and we immediately kind of get to know that they are apparently sleeping together um, because they go into his office and she's like, and he's like kissing her and she's like, oh, I, I'm leaving t- tomorrow. So we have one more night. So this is your last chance to get some firm young flesh. Uh, and he and he goes to like, it's just really weird because he goes to shut the curtain or the blind and she's like, well, why are you shutting it? Nobody, nobody here cares. He's like, well, yeah, I don't care if anybody here knows, but I don't want my, my, my bitch of a wife to know. And so he's like, yeah, I don't care. But I'm thinking to myself, is that like in the 80s, was it okay for you to just like sleep with your professor yeah. and it wasn't an issue? A big element of because, this film in general is my how things have changed. Yeah, as we exactly. will continue to see. But yeah, yes, they, yes. Like, these two are just chatting it up about having an affair, um, <laughs> not really caring if anyone can hear or see. Um, no. the, the teachers, the professors, all about it, all about cheating on his redheaded bitch of a wife, whom I was really hoping we'd see that dame too. Um, I do have to say, though, you know, I get it. Uh, Lisa is leggy as, uh, as fuck. She's got legs for days. That girl, I mean, she is 
stunning. I was shocked. I, I looked her up on IMDb. I was shocked that she didn't have more of a career um, because, yeah, she um, is a, a stunning young woman, and they acknowledge it consistently throughout the film. Uh, a lot of these characters have specific things that define them, and Lisa is the fact that she is irrationally beautiful, and it's true. Um, but, God, that girl's got some long-ass legs. Good for her. Yeah, she's go she's gorgeous. Uh, anyway, so she won't. She's not putting out. She's like, I'm not putting out here. If you want it, you're gonna have to come meet me at the uh, at my at the studio, uh, my art studio tonight, and we will make it one last final night. Otherwise, you're gonna have to settle for your sagging wife. And she even says that your sagging wife. And then she's like, How old is she now? Thirty. Oh my god. I'm like, bitch. <laughs> I was like, How fucking dare you? <laughs> As I looked in, the, I ran to the mirror and looked at my crow's feet. Right, this bitch, <laughs> this beautiful young <sighs> bitch. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. So that's that. A professor's fucking a student, whatever. And apparently, he does it all yeah. the time because he's like, oh, "That's one of the perks of my." Because she's like, "Well, why don't?" He's like, oh, "I'm so sick of this." And she's like, "Well, why don't you quit?" And he's like, "Because well, I love all the young women that I get to sleep with because they want good grades." Yeah, yeah. Uh, nowadays, that would be problematic. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, anyway, Radish finishes, finishes, they go back to the testing room, Radish finishes first, and everyone's like groaning, and he's like, I can't help it that I'm brilliant, and walks out, and then Wildman finishes right after Radish, and like belches, and just disgusting, he's like, and I can't help it that I'm offensive, and he's like, I got shit to do, and he just throws his exam down, and they go outside, okay, and as, as Wildman's walking, this is when... We get introduced to another kind of character that does actually have stuff to do, but it's just like this. Again, these characters are just played so quirkily, and it's the coach, this yes. big, like fat coach that comes running up and knocks Wildman down. And it's like laughing hysterically. Oh, I got you off guard, <laughs> Wildman! I got. And he is just like this. I don't. What word would you use? To uh, larger than life. I mean, like yes. uh, the one thing that this movie gives us and kind of like one after another, is an array of drawls. Like, oh, the God. coach, he's got a southern drawl. He comes up and he's always like, oh, Uncle, wow, man, you go get ready for that. Like, I mean, he's got like a thick drawl. And then we get we meet a sheriff, and the sheriff's got a drawl. And then we meet like the school janitor or whoever the elderly man was, and he has a drawl. Like, it's like, it's like draw, draw, draw. One after another, it was a lot to handle. All these characters... I know, I know. But anyway, so Wild Man's like, well, I got to get going. And, he, and the coach is like, well, you better. Oh, and Radish comes up because Vinny, the coach, asked Rad, uh, Radish about doing the um, inventory, his his equipment inventory. So apparently Radish is the little sports inventory dude. He's like, oh, I'll get it taken care of, blah, blah, blah. So, again, just stuff that comes into play. It's not like – and what's in, what's fun, what's good about this is it's stuff that comes into play later. It's not yeah. dropped. Yeah. Like there's a specific reason why Radish's inventory is mentioned. There's a specific right. reason why. The, it's not like this. these plot the, these plot elements are just dropped. Right, right. And what works, what works is it's like uh, – I mean it's a relatively simplistic plot as, as the listeners will come to learn if they have not seen the film, which I'm hoping they did because as we all know – we don't give a fuck about spoilers here. Um, but yeah, it's a very simple plot, but it is it is webbed and weaved together in a very strategic way that it all kind of makes sense why certain things happen the way they do. 
which I like about it, because you're right, they're, they're, they're little subtle details. Uh, instead of like big, strange, absurd twists in the storyline, it's a very simple story, and it just kind of makes sense why people end up where they end up and why events happen the way they do. Oh, for sure. And then we get the scene. <laughs> this would not go over very well in 2021. <laughs> no, if that's the thing is like if they if if this movie were to be remade, this entire scene would be not in it. There's no way. Um, right. And I'm surprised with where we are at. You know where people want to go look at older films and you know, find them problematic and, and change things about them. I'm surprised nobody is, I'm sure maybe somebody has. I just, I, I'm surprised there aren't, there isn't a call for this scene to be removed from this film. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Because it serves a purpose. So if they, it does serve a purpose. However, it is now where we're at, where we've been as a society. It is, it is pretty jarring to watch. Uh, yes. And what it is, is a, as all the students are leaving their prospective classes, a van pulls up and a group of masked perpetrators with machine guns starts opening fire and basically gunning down all of the, the students on campus. And people are screaming um, and it's just chaotic. And then they run up and grab the bodies and the dead bodies and put them in a van and drive away we witnessed a and this was done in a time when you can because this happened when it did and very few i'm assuming school shootings had happened up to this point they treat it with an air of like this is just one other thing you might see in a slasher or horror movie people opening fire on a on a full campus um on an active campus and you're right, like, nowadays, we wouldn't even attempt to pull it off, let alone have, like, kind of, like, a har-har, like, sense of humor about it. Because after, after the whole thing, obviously, the twist makes it even darker. But, God, I mean, like, yeah, watching this was, I had no idea what was coming the first time I saw this. And I was like, oh, wow, this is shocking. Yes, if you're watching this film for the first time now, yeah, it is a very jarring, shocking scene. It's, it's very, it's very, um violent uh it's yeah it's, it's dark. dark it's dark and um yeah it, it just wouldn't fly now there's no way this would fly um it would be let alone earn a pg rating right right um i mean look what they i mean look what they did to like scream three after columbine they totally gutted what it was supposed to be and, and made it something completely right. different um and right. you know i mean so with all the school shootings that we've had unfortunately you know, the, even on college campuses, look at Virginia Tech. Um, this, this is, this is, yeah. It's I can see where some people are going to find this very uneasy to watch. Um, yeah, I'm sure anyone who has not seen this, who is going to see this today, um, will probably be offended. Uh, a large, yeah, a large volume of there, people. There, there are there are people that will find this offensive. I understand that, but my only throwback to that is we cannot continue this trend of being offended by films mm -hmm. that came out 40 years ago, 50 years ago, mm -hmm. 60 years ago. You just can't. Right. I mean, it, it was a different time. Like you said, there were school yeah. shootings really, there were school shootings, but they nothing like they are. They weren't a no. thing. So 
It is no. what it is. You, you you take the film for what it is in the time period. Um, if anything, it should scare us that today these things sit with us in such a uh, with such a, a serious approach because we have to because it's so all too real. You know, uh, we can't. I'm not saying that you know some an event like a school shooting should have a like a element of levity to it or anything desensitized by it that it just naturally comes off as offensive because it's just day after day we're seeing it lives are being lost no absolutely not but um nowadays it, it, it's something we're so desensitized and that's a term that we hear so much we're so, whereas when this came out and it's obviously like it just makes sense to say it this was in the film it's used as a tool for a prank yeah, I was gonna get there. Yeah. I I would say there is there is either gonna and that either how however you want to look at yeah. it, okay, yeah. that either makes it a little less a little less um, problematic or it makes it even more problematic because these students. What it is is yes, we find out it's the Gamma Fraternity House headed by Wild Man uh, who pulled this elaborate prank. The guns are fake. Everything's fake. The people that got shot were just, it was just fake blood that they had on them. It wasn't real. And they did it simply so that the head mark, the fraternity president or whatever you, you call them, could then, while the shooting was happening and was distracting everybody, he is able to like grade his own exam and give it an 82 and stick it on the pile of the graded exams. So basically they concocted this school shooting so that the frat president could get a good grade. So again, uh, I mean, knowing what we know now, that is extremely like, yeah. oh my God, that's really cringeworthy. But yeah, yeah. But um, yeah. Anyway, so everyone's freaking out. Radish calls the, the police. Then that weird Elizabeth, little dorky Elizabeth, runs up to Courtney and Lisa, who are actually, like, laughing hysterically. And she's like, what are you laughing about? Didn't you just see it was bloody murder, bloody chaos everywhere? And they're like, yeah, but we also saw that the van had the Gamma Fraternity sticker on it, so we know it was just a joke. Um, yeah. And they don't seem too... Very few people really seem phased by this, which is even more worrisome. They aren't. They really aren't. They are not phased by it at all. Even like the people that still think that it was like real, because not everyone, not everyone saw the van drive away with a sticker. You'd have to know that because this this camp, the campus was had tons of stickers. So even like the other kids that just saw this, they're like, oh okay, whatever. They go, they go. Yeah, out. people like disperse. <laughs> they go. They go to the. Where do they go? They go to the cafeteria. <laughs> Yes. Because the very next scene is um, uh, the Courtney and Lisa walking to the cafeteria. And now there is a van, a new van that's following them. Yes. I do want to say another thing I noticed during the sequence where he was checking the, um, the tests. Like, you could hear the gunshots going off, and people are just taking their test. Nobody's... People are like, hmm, what's that? Hmm, hmm. And they, like, went back to, like, doing their tests. I was like, this really was a different time, I suppose. <laughs> like, nobody's, like, diving under their desk or putting a bulletproof fabric over them. Mm -mm, mm -mm. They are finishing this damn chemistry test. Whether, Determination, yeah. Whether it kills them. Um, so we get the girls into the cafeteria and they're in line yeah. just talking about random shit. Oh, what could we eat now? And oh, and it, again, it's very realistic. It's stuff that these would really be said. I mean, it's just like, right. it's just a conversation two girls would literally have when they were in line getting food because they're like, oh, what should I get? Oh, this, I should get a salad instead of spaghetti. I mean, people might find that just like 
nonsensical, like why does this need to be in the film? But again, it shows these characters and their relationship. Um, and now this is when we get introduced to Janet again. She comes in, but now we get her little pledge boyfriend who is pledging to the Gamma Fraternity House, and his name is Gary. And I love Gary so much. Gary is, he is, what's the word? He's so mousy and meek. Yeah, he's very petite, very tight, small, small of frame. He's cute. Um, he's, he acts, he, he's a good match for Janet because they both, here are these, they're both college age kids, right? But they yeah. literally both act like they're 13 years old. Like literally. Yeah. I mean, yeah. they, I don't know if that was a choice the director made to make these two characters come off as being way more immature compared to the rest of the cast because the rest of the cast is pretty mature, pretty, you know, got it together. Uh, Agreed, yeah. And these two are like literally like it's like you're watching two junior high students like that are giddy about because they are they think they're in love. Um, but he is told that he has to uh, – he's taken outside and told that he has to complete a task to, to become, you know, as one of his uh, pledge duties. And he has to steal an exam. Um, and – we get that kind of element that that's thrown in there, yeah. And it's actually shot very well. Uh, the sequence I just want to say is shot against the lake of the of the campus, and it's like this really beautiful, again, picturesque. That word haunts me today, picturesque. Um, but it's yeah, it's a surprisingly beautiful sequence. A lot of these scenes, very pretty, very well shot. Yeah, it is. I love the. the it's a very, very atmospheric location very they yeah. go back in yeah. and finish mm -hmm. lunch and janet wants to know what his, what he has to do and he won't tell her he's like oh it's it's frat business um and she gets all mad uh and then you get the scene where courtney is done eating and she takes her lunch tray to the lunch tray depository i don't know what this thing is called it's like a little lift it like takes it down yeah it's a lift Yes, and it, this is another really cool, I think, shot and transition because the camera goes into the into the 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 lift and kind of then it goes down and you see the the, the tray come out and then the cafeteria workers are there. Really cool scene. Yeah, this was actually one of the first moments that made me like go oh like I actually audibly reacted just because to think that they would take the time to to show the you know the the tray goes into the lift it goes down and then all of a sudden it's from like the perspective of the tray coming out uh as they like as the as the employees like pick it up and wash it it's really well done and then there's a whole not only that but there's a whole purpose to like the flow of the sequence like it naturally flows into the next moment it does, and it's not like it is. And again, this is this film. I'm telling you, people, this film is is, is smarter than it gets credit for, and constructed a lot more yeah. carefully than people yeah. give it credit for. Because that this scene actually serves a purpose mm -hmm. later. It comes in the back film. to that location. Yeah. Yes, it in a very yeah, similar. I, I way. loved it. Uh, it's almost it's. It's almost like a parallel or a mirroring of the two scenes. It's really interesting. But yeah, you're right because it flows out because the, the, the cafeteria worker is taking the trash out and then Courtney's coming out. He runs into her. Um, that and fucking van. The van is... So it's like did a full, like this full circle kind of moment of the van follows them, for, you know, 
across the campus, they go into a building, they come out of the building, the van is there again. Like it, It's kind of always present in in the background again very michael myers with his car you know but but still kind of in in their own way they do it their own way it doesn't always just feel like a halloween ripoff yeah 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 and now this is the scene where the sheriff shows up talking in that exaggerated southern drawl oh his that drawl <laughs> i swear i do declare <laughs> that, that every draw on this is progressively more and more subtle they get most southern with every single character they introduce. <laughs> it's like, it is like a parody. I feel like it's a cast of men, all different men of various ages who have played Colonel Sanders at one point or another. Could be. I mean, and this, this scene is very dialogue heavy. I'm not going to go into everything that's said, but basically because it's about a five minute scene, it, it goes on quite a bit. Um, and Radish is trying to explain that it was just a joke. But he got the license plate number of the van, and he seems very proud of himself for doing that. And, of course, the sheriff goes and runs the license plate number, and it comes back, and it is comes back as Wild Man's dad. So he knows. So he go, the, the sheriff is like, I'm <laughs> going to get you, yeah. mister. Then the, it's just a potpourri of characters that pop up because now the coach comes back. And, and now the coach is like, what you doing bothering these boys? Yeah. And Yes. And they're out drawling each other. Yes. And there's some like animosity between the two of them. And not only that, then you get the security guard that shows up. The, the, the thickest of the draws. And he's out and he is a little drunk. And he said it you know my word, I'm on this campus. We got no crime here. <laughs> well, they keep insisting that there's no crime on this campus, which makes it seem all too right that there may or may not be a mass murder at some point in the evening. <laughs> it's just very strategically worded. Um, but yeah, it's a very strange scene. But one thing I want to throw out here. At this point, I appreciate the fact that Radish, being the nerd, there's always a nerd, but I feel the nerd is always the one that's getting beat up and bullied and taunted and intimidated, and I feel like Radish doesn't really give a fuck about any of these frat boys. I think he, because he's, he's always like, he's like, I'm brilliant. He keeps acknowledging the fact he's the smartest one there, and I don't think he's really intimidated or daunted. He's not, he doesn't even seem to be phased by the meatheads. You know what I mean? He's kind of like, he's both endearing and confident. He's strangely confident in his intelligence. Um, and I, I really like some of these moments because they kind of try to bully him and he kind of almost like laughs him off. You know? You know what I mean? Like he, he doesn't seem to be uh, intimidated by these guys as much as some other films would do with this whole parody of a bully nerd yeah, no, he's not intimidated at all. He doesn't give a fuck, and that's that's again that makes him more endearing. Like he's like he knew he knew Radish knew whose van that was. He knew he knew what he was doing. He didn't care. You know what I mean? Like that's the first he right. Wild Man is standing right. right behind him. He knows that, and he still gives them the license plate number, knowing it's going to come back. He's so yeah. But anyways, they're like the the the, uh, the sheriff like threatens Wild Man, and it's like if I ever see you. Here's a dom. You better keep this dom because you're going to need it because I'm going to kick your ass if I have to come back here. <laughs> yeah, he's, yeah, it's his one call. Because he's like, he's like I'm, one day I'm going to arrest you, and when you do, you get one call. 
And don't you lose that dime. <laughs> like, it's, it's so over the top. Like, I love it. I yeah, love it. But they, they, they make the coach and the janitor, like, make fun of the sheriff. And he ends up, like, squealing away. He's all mad because of, they make fun of him for hunt, for using a gun instead of a bow and arrow for hunting. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Which like, also comes into play. Yeah, it does. It does. Yeah. yeah. Um, so anyways, then we get that. So that scene's into. Then you get Courtney going back to her room. There's a figure below her window watching her very Michael Myers-esque Halloween. Very Halloween. Like, almost to a T. That felt like a ripoff to me. Uh, at least they cut away from it pretty quick. But I was like, that... Come on, like, that is an iconic shot through the window. But yeah, they do cut away from it pretty quick. Uh, and this is where she has a conversation with Lisa about grades. And Lisa is basically, like, flaunting to her that, you know, I don't have to study. I don't have to do anything because I'm so pretty and I just get what I want. Yes. And then she lures two random men in off the streets, out of a, like, two men out of a hallway. She's like, hey, would y'all want to come help me with these bags? <laughs> two men who are no never referenced again. They're, they have nothing to do with the storyline. They just show up and they're like, oh, yeah. And she's just bopping around in a pair of short shorts and tank top, just uh, using her body to get what she wants. She's a woman who knows her talents, and I appreciate that about Lisa. And you know what, man? You use what the Lord gave you to your advantage. Well, and she does, and well, and it, and she's, she kind, and it kind of pisses Courtney off. Courtney's like slams her book shut, and's like, then she goes into Radish's room, and's like, they have a conversation. She wants some aspirin because she has a headache, but they do have a conversation about like life not being fair, and again, very, I think, deep conversations to to embed into a slasher movie. Um, because there is about a three or four minute conversation about how life's not fair and people have it easy and Lisa just uses her looks and Radish is like, well, her looks aren't going to last forever. So, you know, your brains are going to definitely outdo her looks. So you just got to kind of deal with it. And yeah. And there's like a, a slight hint of romance here, or at least romantic, uh, interests where, um, it's pretty clear Radish is a thing for Courtney. Um, but it's very subtle. This movie doesn't isn't heavy-handed with it. Okay, so I I, I don't know. I think I think Radish might be in the closet. Um, I thought that too, but I thought the way he delivered that line about how pretty her face is, I was like, that seemed very genuine. That's where I got that ducky vibe. But then right after what he says and the way he says it is very feminine. I don't yeah, know. he did. Yeah, I did get that vibe. I'm not that that means. Not that means you're gay, but I'm just saying. Like I have always felt like the, one of the things that I can think I can think endeared me to this character is I do kind of get a queer vibe. From I can him. see it, uh, and I wish they would have like just went that route with him because I don't buy the fact that he has a, an interest in Courtney it, sexually yeah, or romantically. Yeah, that makes sense. It, it's it's more because their relationship more is like two girlfriends. Yeah talking it's like she can share anything she can she feels she can share anything with him with him um and i know i mean i never get the impression that she is sexually or romantically interested in him so i feel like their relationship is very like very like their two girls i can see that like he's just reassuring her in a sense he's like she and i think i i think yeah and i think the comment later on about her having a pretty face wasn't anything that was supposed to be in my mind that wasn't him like hitting on her it was very much him being a good girlfriend and trying to cheer. That her makes up. sense, and I, you know, I, I can hear what you're saying about like the kind of gay 
undertones with the character, very subtle. I think, though, one thing that this movie does to throw that off is there are a few moments coming up here that have some almost homoerotic tones with the bullies and how they kind of, like, manhandle each other. I'm sure you kind of know what I'm talking about. As they kind of get buzzed up and they're kind of pushing each other around and with playing with whipped cream and everything and everything they do to Gary coming up, there's a few moments of kind of homoerotic undertones, which I think is just also the 80s in general. As we've been seeing, as we've been watching more of these films, like how many of these movies have we... How many of these films would you actually say didn't have a single moment of homoeroticism or a queer-like moment to them, you know? It's really easy as you watch it with the 80s kind of being the time period where that was kind of coming to the surface and, you know, even things like Boy George rising to the surface and everything and being more popular and mainstream and uh, rock bands taking on more feminine personas. I think we're starting to just see these uh, winks and nods towards the queer culture, uh, even in something as simple as what we're discussing right now with this character who, yeah, you're abs you know what? Absolutely right. That could very well have been a girlfriend moment between a, a, a girl and her gay, and that's all it had to be, and they didn't have to go into the dialogue about it. And you could very well be right about that. Yeah, I mean, that's my impression. I could be wrong. And you hate to assume someone's sexuality based on behaviors, but uh, I'm just reading it as a gay man myself, yeah. and that's kind of the impression I got. Just because of their interactions before that moment don't seem romantic at all. They seem very, like, girlfriendish. Uh, but anyways, as she's going back to her room, you do get another glimpse of the killer in the mirror in the background. Like, his fig you can see him, the killer in, in a mirror image. Or in a mirror, you see his figure. Again, now that very yeah. Halloween-esque. In terms of this killer seems to always be lurking behind very. The character. Yeah, and it's becoming very clear that not only is it Halloween-esque in the execution, but it's also Halloween-esque even in the presentation. Like, he's always shadowed. When you see him, his silhouette is very Michael Myers. Like, there is a very, like, looming, ominous, big-shouldered stance. You know, he's just a big, foreboding form. Um, we'll go into how why that does or does not work as this progresses. Yeah, yeah. yes, yeah. absolutely. Absolutely. So she goes back to her room and she thinks that someone has been in her room because she can't find, she thinks some of her things are missing or, or misplaced and then she can't find the book she was just reading. So then uh, Lisa comes in, uh, Courtney's like, hey, does it look like someone's been in the room? My book's missing. And she goes to open the closet door and the book falls almost on her and she's all pissed because she thinks Courtney did it. And Courtney's like, no, I didn't do it, which is interesting. And then we get... Janet comes in and she is all excited because Gary has given her his pledge pin. Oh, she's thrilled. Going steady. She is thrilled. She is thrilled. Now, this, so this again, I'm telling you, uh, Mr. Kevin Williamson had to have seen this movie because this is very similar. This whole, this whole subplot with Gary and uh, Janet and him giving her her pin him pinning her and then what happens to him is very exactly like Sydney and Derek in Scream 2 when he gives her his neck the necklace and then what happens is it so he had to have, I'm sorry he had to have seen this film that's just just too coincidental anyway so she's all excited about him giving her a pin but she knows that he could get in trouble for it uh, and then they want to see the pin and <laughs> 
it's pinned they it's pinned to the back of her sweater so apparently they must have been like having like fucking or something and he just pinned it on the sweater when it was on the floor or something yeah and then they're like oh look at you you and she gets all mad and storms out and again very childish like very childlike she's like oh you can laugh all you want but we're in love and storms out yes uh, and completely serious i think there's no sense of humor to this girl she's genuinely that offended. It was a very strange uh, acting choices, especially considering how downplayed everyone else is. Yeah, yeah. Now we get um, Mark and Wild Man go into Radish's room and kind of rough him up for actually giving the sheriff his license plate number. And while while Wild Man is like throwing Radish on the bed and threatening him, Mark takes the key, steals his keys that are the keys to the um, gymnasium that'll come into play later. Again, this scene is very, like, I mean, Radish gets manhandled pretty um, intensely <laughs> by Wild Man's. They all seem to like it. <laughs> and now we get into the kind of the, the crux of the movie where we are kind of, it's nighttime now. So the campus is especially deserted. And we get the character of Gary. He is fulfilling his pledge duty and he's going to steal the test i personally think that this scene is handled extremely well and is extremely suspenseful um and does not follow the cliche that you would expect it to because as gary is going into he's in the he's in the building and he actually climbs through the uh office window to get into the professor's um office he finds the exam and he has as he is reading the exam he's like looking at the exam right in the background the killer is standing literally probably 10 feet behind him with a large butcher knife okay so mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. as but when mark or when gary turns around to leave the killer is not there however there is a long shot of him leaving like walking down the hallway to the to exit the, this this building and the ominous music's playing and you really are prepared for the killer to like jump out at any moment and kill him and it doesn't have it doesn't happen yeah. he actually gets out of the building um, and as he leaves the building his frat brothers actually jump him and that's kind of the jump scare but I thought that this was handled very well like that's I watching this I thought. Like the killer is like he's literally right behind him. He's gonna get killed in the hallway. He's gonna jump out, and I think that's what was we were expected. That was what the purpose was. We were, we expected that he was gonna kill him in the in the building, and he doesn't. Yeah, I had the same um, impression from that moment. Um, I do think it was played very well. I think there's a lot of uh, examples of some more really great cinematography. There's some really good follow shots in this film. Really smooth follow shots. Um, uh, and uh, my uh, one thing I really took away from this, and again, and I hate to be continue to compare it to Halloween, but my God, that piano score, that piano score, it is as close as they could get it to the Halloween theme without it being the Halloween theme. But it does give that same uh, like unsettling, uncomfortable vibe as he's sneaking through the school. And yes, you absolutely think he's about to get stabbed. And the fact he doesn't, um, I was surprised. I was, I was surprised. I was expect, I was waiting for it to happen. Yeah. And it doesn't, it doesn't. Um, but anyways, 
So the um, frat brothers gr take him and they tie him to a tree because they find out that he gave his pin to uh, Janet. So they tie him to a tree and they proceed to like strip him almost nude. All he's wearing is his little tidy whitey underwear. Um, which they pack with ice. Which they pack with ice. They, they spray him with shaving cream. They douse him with freezing cold water. And they literally tie him to a tree. Um, yes. And he... I feel so bad for him. Um, because... He, like... Oh my god, poor little Gary. He's just out in the freezing cold in his little underwear. Um, the amount of time that he is tied to that tree, I would think that, that he... I would be physically, like, my skin would be white. My lips would be blue. I would be suffering from hypothermia. This poor guy, they literally pack his briefs with ice cubes and they leave him. And, like, he's there for a pretty long time. Yeah, he is. And, again, this is a parallel to Scream 2 because it's exactly what happens to Derek, the frat brothers. And it's almost the same thing where... If you remember in Scream 2, this the whole scene where Derek gets grabbed by his frat brothers, it's ve it's played very similarly because you think he's being stalked by Ghostface. Yeah. And he's not. It's his frat brothers, and they grab him and tie him up. So it's, yeah. it's the same thing. Like, I'm telling yeah. you, like, he had to have seen this film. There are a lot of moments throughout this film where I was like, God, I see the influence of this film in, in later pieces of cinema. Another film that I got some vibes... Um, from was like um, urban legend just like I mean maybe it was the campus and everything but like some of these moments like looking like up the stairwells and everything and it just it, yeah, it just it rings tr through a lot of different pieces that we've seen since yeah so Elizabeth is at, as watching this unfold and she's like scream Gary screaming to her to go tell Janet and she's like oh well okay I guess I'll go get her she's not <laughs> it's so funny her reaction. So, uh, Elizabeth's other only other purpose in the film is for about ten minutes. She's like, "Oh, I guess I'll go get her." So she she's goes to look for Janet, um, and Janet is now in Courtney's bedroom again. And it's funny because this it, this is a little moment that shows that Janet literally has zero sense of humor because Courtney is sitting on her bed playing solitaire, and Janet comes in and says, "What are you doing?" And Courtney's like, "Oh, I'm studying." Because she can clearly see she's playing solid. Janet turns to leave. And Courtney's like, uh, Janet, hello. I was just kidding. Look what I'm doing. So it's again, this character is very dry. Um, yeah. But anyway, so she's she's like, now she's telling Courtney, well, I don't know if I want it to be this serious with Gary. I love him, but I just, this is too, this is, might be too much. Um, all within a all day. All within a day. Right? Like, all within a day. Yeah, and she she's like, I've outgrown uh, him. She, yes, literally. She's like, <laughs> I love him, but I, this is too much. It's happened too fast. And he's too immature. And Courtney's like, uh, all he did was give you your pen. You're not married. And she's like, I don't know about all this. And meanwhile, Elizabeth, literally, this character, Elizabeth, is walking down the hallway screaming, Janet, Janet McConley, picking her ass. And she's walking down. <laughs> did you catch that? She's literally. I did she's not. She's literally. Oh god! I have to rewatch it. She grabs and she's picking her ass as she's walking. I'm like, oh my god. I love nothing more than a woman who's 
readjusting her ass crack and her panties. Like the choices. I wonder if the director's like, oh, you didn't, it was really funny. Pick your ass. Or if she just really did it and they just caught it on, you know, maybe she really had to, the actress really had to. I hope so. I really hope it was natural, natural instinct. <laughs> so Janet decides she will go um, get Gary. And they're like, oh, do you want us to go with you? And they're like, oh, no, I need to do this by myself because it's my man. And I need to show him that I love him. Whatever. Just two minutes ago, you okay, were girl. over. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, crazy. <laughs> Batch yeah. crazy. And now, if this, if some of these characters haven't been enough already... Now we go back to we are at the Gamma Frat House with Mark and Wildman. And Mark, they're both drunk apparently. And they get a Mark gets a phone call and apparently this frat house sells drugs apparently. I don't know. Yes, because, or at least Wildman does. Yes, because they're like, "Oh no, we don't we we no, we don't have pop. Oh, you want speed? Okay." So Mark's like and in the meantime, like, Wildman is in the background, like, literally, like, slobbering everywhere, spraying whipped yeah. cream in his mouth, like, spitting it out. He has it down, yeah. down the front of his shirt. Um, just disgusting. Just disgusting. So gross. He changes his shirt at one point, and, like, he has whipped cream all over, but he doesn't do anything about it. And then he applies, like, spray-on deodorant on under his armpits and then he sprays his mouth with it and i was like who is this man why am i strangely aroused by him uh i like him dirty well he's <laughs> he, he sprays the de- he puts the sweater on and then sprays the deodorant yeah. on the sweater armpits not yes. his actual arm yes. yeah and then he sprays right. it in his mouth okay what a stud what a stud but then they Mama like. then they have this <laughs> little plot where they're going to they got Radish's keys, so he sends Wildman in to get pills. They don't care what pills they are. They just want pills so that they can fake sell them. They can sell them as speed to the people that called. So right. um, so that's that whole purpose there. So Wildman is, is ready to, um, to go do this. Now we cut back to Gary, who is like shivering intensely. Yeah. You can tell he's freezing cold. We hear some footsteps. We're like, oh shit, what's going to happen? And who is it? It's the damn security guard with the southern draw. Oh, and he, he shows up and he uh, basically refuses to free him. <laughs> you, I'm sorry. He, you, would get, you would get fired. <laughs> you would get I don't know if he got brought out or something. And then he proceeds to like take a swig of like whiskey. And then he goes, Is that you think he's going to give him a sip of the whiskey, but then he just pours it down his icy underwear. It's so cruel. It's so cruel to poor, uh, poor Gary. And this is a school employee who yeah. literally refuses to untie this sh- naked, shivering kid. And then to top it off, yes, pours whiskey on his cock. Yeah. It's and walks away. My how things have changed. Yes. Oh my, my how dude, things have changed. you are... Yeah. Poor Gary. You must have been personally very offended being a teacher and so forth. Being an administrator. Okay, so then we have to cut back to Courtney and Janet who are still talking. And because Janet hasn't left yet. And Courtney's telling her about the fact that the reason she's never pledged to sororities is because she doesn't like their hazing. She doesn't agree with the hazing. And then she tells a story about a girl that killed herself last year because she wasn't accepted to sorority. Um, and whatever that purpose of that story is, I don't know, because then Janet's like, oh, cool. And she's like, I'm going to go get Gary now. 
Um, and then this is when Elizabeth shows up, and clearly Courtney's playing solitaire, and Elizabeth like just grabs the cards and starts looking at them. At this point, Elizabeth was giving me some heavy lesbian vibes. Not in the sense of hitting on Courtney, just as it, just in her existence and who she is. I get some strong lesbian vibes. And this is the that's the last we see of Elizabeth. This yeah, is the we last never see her again. we never see her again. She's I don't know what decision was made. The fact that they could have killed another character, I don't. Maybe the actress had to leave. I don't know because I'll say this right here, right now, man. Is the the fact that one of my things I don't want to say a gripe, but one missed opportunity is there are many characters that are presented through the course of this film i feel who i anticipated i would see killed who i do not the sheriff uh does not come back he um, comes back at the end no 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 that's the jan- that's the, coach, that's the janitor right. yeah or the coach does but the sheriff doesn't come the sheriff back. doesn't um, come back the elizabeth doesn't come back elizabeth um, disappears the teacher the professor that the, like, there's all these characters who you kind of start to get these story arcs that affect the major characters. Like, I was really thinking that Lisa's story arc, which is coming into play here in a little bit, would, would reintroduce that character for the sake of a body count alone. Why else have it, you know? But as you'll find out. Well, Gary, now we go back to Gary. He's t- he's still tied up, obviously. We hear footsteps again, and we're like, okay, well, what's this going to be? And he's like whining, oh, who is it, please? And now we hear the ropes being cut. Somebody's Someone is setting Gary free, and we're like, oh, yay. And he thinks it's Elizabeth, and he's like, yeah, set me free, and we can go and make out and stuff. So as he gets free, he's like walking around. He's, he's like, nobody's there, and he's like, I don't who cut me free like who's there somebody has to be there but there's nobody there and what happens is as he's walking the killer literally drops down from a tree how he got up there so quickly who knows he drops down from a tree and proceeds to stab the shit out of gary um now this is i timed it this is 54 minutes and 45 seconds into the film yeah, before yeah. one of our main characters gets killed, so that's a that's almost an hour, and the film was only an hour and a half long. Yeah, so I mean, everything happens in the final yes. twenty five minutes. It so all, I can, yes, it does. I can see people like finding finding that an issue or saying it's it, it's too boring for an hour because nothing happens. Because yeah, it's fifty four fifty four minutes and forty five seconds. Plus, this is the first our first character death from one of the characters that we actually know. And it's not gory or bloody at all. At all. You don't even see, like, it's so dark that you don't even see, like, Gary, actually. You don't even, like, it doesn't show anything. It just shows the killer raising the knife a bunch of times. There's no blood. There's no, like, screaming. Like, Gary, like, I think lets out a grunt and then that's it. So it's very un... un, uh, it's, It's not very impressive for our first kill. Yeah, I think the one scary aspect is is uh, or not scary, but maybe a little little unsettling. Uh, he you know he's naked aside from being in his underwear, and he's standing there shivering, and he's kind of creeping around, and you get this really really lovely um, POV shot moving past the tree because Gary can't see, you know, he can't turn enough to see who's there, but it goes past the tree and into the foliage of the, the the leaves and it looks it's a really pretty shot um and then after that it kind of like the whole thing like you hear you hear the sounds of the ropes being cut but you don't see who's doing it and there's like this whole kind of moment of like 
calm where he's just like looking around. He's like, I know somebody's there. Like, obviously someone cut me free. Who did it? And like, he's standing there. And then all of a sudden you have the shock of the fact that the killer drops down from the tree above. Um, and you do have like one shot of him, of, of Gary on his stomach where you see that he's being stabbed in the back, but it is all very shadowed. But I think it's because it's kind of similar to me as think of Texas Chainsaw Massacre of, uh, um, Pam, when she gets the meat hook, but you never see the meat hook go in. You just see, but you, she's got that open back top, and I know this was intentional. They do the whole follow shot where you see her back, and you know it's bare. So when that meat hook goes in, even though you don't see it, you have that goo kind of feeling because you know you just saw the visual of her bare back. I have a similar thing here. He's so revealed and exposed that even though you don't see anything, it's still an unsettling kill. It's not a gory kill, but it is a... um. It still kind of gives you like the heebie-jeebies the way it's done, especially with the timing of it. I think it's still an effective kill, but yeah, it is not gory. I can see that. I can see that. I'm just looking at it from a perspective of like 80 slasher fans who are used to the 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 gore being like on display. If you think about some of the 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 80 slasher titles that are kind of held in high regards, it's yeah. they're they're very gory. They they show the death. So I can see why. And that some people are going to say, "Well, I sat 55 minutes." through 55 minutes just to see this which is basically a knife being raised and nothing really happening um i could go throw in the prowler and see some real gore um but i, I understand and it, yeah i feel bad for the character it's a it's 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 it's, it's a very shocking kind of brutal death th because the killer is pretty relentless in this i mean he does stab like his stabbing is pretty woo. janet shows up I mean, it can't be too much longer after Gary just got killed, but his body's already gone. Like, where'd the killer put... T Carol, the killer took his body. It's gone. What's left is his shoes, and there is a kind of effective shot where she's screaming, Gary, where are you? And then there's, like, this, like, water tower-type building, and you see from her point of view there's a figure standing on the balcony thing of this water tower. And it's just a figure. Uh, silhouettes are used quite a bit in this film, for, to a, much like Halloween, and they're very effective. So she thinks it's Gary because she can't make it. Who I, she can't make out who it is. So she goes to look for him, and as she's going, she finds his jeans laying on the ground, and she's like, "Oh, Gary, you're so funny!" And yeah, and she goes, she climbs the steps <laughs> to this water tower thing, and all of a sudden, like the lights of it flicker on and off, and for some reason, this scares her. Um, and she takes off running, so she runs back down the stairs, and as she's running past the corner of the building, the killer, like, lunges out, grabs her by the throat, and, like, yanks her violently. Like, yeah. And out of, out of shot. Yeah. And that's all you get. But it was a pretty, it was a pretty violent yank, though. Yeah. But that's all you get. That's... You know what though? I I will say this, and here's one area I was I was I guess kind of let down a little. Is this was building up to be? Yeah, I love me a chase scene. Who doesn't? And 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 one thing about some of these moments is when the characters like start to flee. Um, again, they react very much as people I think really would. So Janet starts. You know, she takes off. She's running, and yeah, it's effective. She was grabbed and pulled aside. But I was like expecting a a big payoff from this moment and you definitely don't get it and uh there's a few kills here where the um you just never come back you never revisit them you never you never see gary's body again 
You never see Janet's body. Yeah, you don't. Well, uh, it's yeah, not like there's yeah, a discovery yeah, moment. I don't know. You know what just, I mean? Yeah, it's interesting. Um, I, I guess when you're trying to cram what seven, eight deaths into twenty minutes, it's it's going to be pretty pretty uh, quick. Because now, right after Janet's killed, Wild Man is in the gym and he's ransacking the cabinets for pills. Grabs a bunch of pills, shoves them in his pocket. As he's leaving, the scoreboard lights come on. So creepy. So creepy. I love that. Yeah, because it's the the gymnasium is pitch black. So all of a sudden, the scoreboard lights up and it's set at two minutes. And he is like, who's there? Who's there? Who's there, motherfucker? And he goes and he turns the gymnasium light on. And right at the in the middle standing is just the silhouette of the killer. And it's very creepy. It's very effective. It's just this hulking like figure in this green jacket just standing there. Yeah. And this is really the first time that we really get to see, I think, the killer's face like in full view. It's not being hidden. And I don't know about you, because this is another thing that's interesting, is this killer is not wearing a mask throughout the film. Mm-hmm. This is not a masked killer. Um and I can't think of many, you know, 80 slasher films where that's the case, where the killer isn't like either like disfigured, like the burning, or or is wearing a mask. Uh, like on, the the driller killer. Yeah, the driller the, killer. The driller killer. You see his face. Um, I will say this, um, and I, I don't want to say that I require a mask for my killers, but I require um, a certain element of mystery. I think to to maintain that fear factor and this guy as soon as i saw him without any explanation as to who he was um it kind of took a little bit of it away from me it definitely did he's just he's just a guy nothing special with an ineffective haircut and um and uh, and a rather basic everyday ensemble with a knife who, when he's shadowed, looks very much like Michael Myers. But other than that, he's just a guy with a knife. And, um, again, I mean, not to say I need a mask, but, like, uh, Black Christmas made it work without a mask, made it work just with shadow play and silhouettes. This, they thought it was going to be effective to show who it was, and honestly, I think it was one of the mistakes that they made. Um, because there's no, if you're going to do a movie where you're not going to give any form of explanation whatsoever, then don't show who it is. Cause once I see the face, I'm like, who the fuck is that guy? Who is he? Who is this man? He's not relevant. I agree. Because another thing, and I mean, we might as well just talk about it now is the killer's motivation or who he is, is never revealed. Never. You, you have no idea who this guy is or what his motive is. I guess we are to assume based on the opening scene, that he just goes from college campus to college campus killing people. But if that's the case, you really don't hear anything about that except what happened in the opening scene when Radish comes up and says, hey, did you hear two... If, if there was like a serial killer that was stalking college campuses, you would think that that would have been brought up. And then we could, yeah. we could have been like, as the audience says, oh, okay, so this guy's just, he's been doing, he's been getting away with it, this is who it is. But there's literally no explanation at all who he is or what he, why he's doing this. And he is a very like unappealing, he's not, I'm not saying he's an unattractive man, it's just very unappealing looking. There's nothing that stands out about him that makes him particularly, you know, memorable. Um, and then, yeah, he's just wearing like this green jacket and jeans. That's his ensemble. 
And I'm like, okay, how that's could you have at least done something? I don't know. Just made the killer a little bit more memorable. It's like foreboding. Yeah, it's yeah. like the killer in the everything in this film had so much like to me had so much thought put into it, except the killer. So much character. Everything had so much character. So why does the yeah, it, it's it's kind of mind-boggling to me that they thought that that was going to be the most effective choice because it really, um, it takes the wind out of the sails, I would say, yeah. And then immediately when he turns on the light and sees this figure without even knowing who it is, he just, wild man that is, he just like charges this person. Like, he doesn't know who it is. Like, it could be like, it could be the sheriff. He does say, before he tackles him, he does say, if that's you, coach, he, he accuses... Remember the coach earlier jumped yeah. out and tackled him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I feel like he thinks it's the coach playing a joke, and he's like, ah, kind of that's how I took it. But he yeah. attacks... I mean, if that's his coach, he attacks him pretty damn violently. This isn't... Like, he, he runs full speed at this dude. Like, Well, he's also drunk and drugged up off of the random pills that's right true. now. So that translates here as well. Yeah, that's true. That's very true. I don't know, but... He proceeds, Wildman proceeds to get the ever-living shit beat out of him. Like, I mean, this killer fucks him up, like, big time, like, fucks him up, like, punches him. Bitch slapping him across the face. Yeah, slam, slamming him against the wall. Yeah, Um, him in the balls. He kicks him in the balls. Yeah, and basically he kills him by wrapping a cable from the weight machine around his neck and then like pulling him so the the the, the like 300 pounds of weights are lifted and it's like around his neck so he's basically strangles him with the weight cable and i think this is actually a pretty brutal scene like a pretty brutal death because he lets him go and his body like flies back into the into the weight machine and like it's tight you can see it just spinning around his neck tightening even more and like blood is coming out of his mouth i mean this is probably the most i would say the most graphic death of all of them yeah but i think it's one of those things i was really expecting like and not to be like i need a big massive kill but um, I was kind of expecting with where it was going, involving the weights, like his head to get crushed. I don't know. And this movie doesn't ever go there. It really is. All the kills are pretty, like, you know, kind of like, they're there. They happen. But, they're, I mean, the, the build-up to some of them are actually quite effective. And as he dies, the scoreboard goes to zero. Kind of a little touch there that... Yeah, I like yeah. that. Um, and then we go back to Courtney, and she's in her room studying, of course, so that's all she does. And then Radish comes in, and he's drinking whiskey. And they have a conversation about why... He, she she kind of confronts him about, why are you so, like, scared? Like, why are you so paranoid um, about everything? And he's like, well, because that's life. Like, psychopaths exist. They People get killed every day. We have to we have to just be aware of what's, what's going on. Um which is kind of interesting considering what happens, but um, and she's like, "Oh, you always make me laugh." And he's like, "He's getting he's like, well, I better go do my inventory." And as he's leaving, he tells her to lock the door, and she's like, "Okay." And as he's she locks the door, but then he goes to the the room has two doors apparently because he goes and knocks on the second door, and she answers it. And this is when he tells her that she's prettier than Lisa. That she has a prettier face. There's more there, and she kind of smiles, and he walks away. And this is when he gives that really like weird. He's talking to himself. He's like, um, "I can't believe you said that, kid." And he it just—it's really weird. Um, 
Yeah, this is the this is the main area. I took it as like kind of a romantic thing, you know, being like he likes her, but he's like, I can't believe you finally confessed it. But um, uh, it would no matter what the intention, it's a sweet moment between these characters. I like that scene. Yeah. This is now again. Mark goes to the gym because Wildman hasn't come back yet. So my as he's looking around, he finds Wildman stuffed upside down in a locker. <laughs> yeah, for as like as uh, simple. I don't, I don't even say simple as. Basic as, as Wildman's kill was, being just like a strangle and bleed out, that reveal kind of sold it for me. I was like, oh, this killer, who does appear to have superhuman strength, I will say, this killer managed to shove this large football playing man, or whatever, wrestler, or whatever he is, upside down in a locker. That's impressive. It's very impressive. It is very yeah. impressive. And Mark really doesn't have that intense of a reaction but he does he does like run out of the of the school of the, the gym and as he's approaching his car um the his headlights come on for some reason so then he runs back around the back of the building and gets in and locks the door the keys are hanging by the next to the door for some reason and he locks the the door and you can hear the killer start to bang on the door. And there is like this a little tiny moment where it's kind of suspenseful because he's walking through the, the, the back, I guess it's like the storage area or boiler area of this building. And he gets to two doors and both of them, it's funny because both the doors say, danger, do not enter. So he walks to one, kind of looks at it, goes to the other, looks at it, and the, he chooses one and he opens it and walks in. And as he's about halfway into the room, all of a sudden, the killer jumps out of, I think it, it's like a trash barrel. <laughs> like, literally yeah. jumps out of this trash barrel and shoves a knife through him, and it comes out like his back. And Yeah. Is it the most plausible uh, situation? Is that really realistic that uh, he could shove a knife all the way through a man's torso? No. Um, that being said, it's still probably my favorite kill in the movie. That whole build-up to him entering that room and he's walking and they just kind of like, out of nowhere, the killer just busts out of this garbage can and it's just like, I, 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 there's no time to react. And it's it's unrealistic and it's absurd, yeah, but it it's is. also it's really very effective. Yeah, you, you don't see it coming. You don't see it coming. And like, Again, you can question like how why would how, why would the killer know that he's going to go into that particular room? Uh, you know why? But whatever, it's it's a, it's a really effective jump death that is that's handled pretty well. I think the killer was kind of just placing his bets. I think he was like, "Let's hope it yeah. comes this way," <laughs> like, yeah. and it worked yeah. out. For the that, okay, so and then this is just like I said, this happens so all these characters are killed so quickly because now Radish shows up. Sweet Radish. Sweet Radish. He is like starts to clean up his the little area because you know Wildman destroyed it, and as he's putting um, football helmets away, now Mark's body falls out of the locker and falls onto Radish, and he's like shoving the body back in, freaking out, and he proceeds to go to the payphone. He's like, I gotta call the police. I talking to himself. I gotta call the police. I gotta call the police, and so he puts a dime in the payphone, calls the operator, gets the police. And you know it. Because of what happened earlier, the sheriff does not believe him. He thinks it's another joke. Yes, but Radish is not taking no for an answer. Radish is like, do your fucking job. 
there are dead bodies here. Like, Radish ain't fucking around. I like Radish. He's working overtime in this movie. Yes, and you can, but you can hear the sheriff go, don't tell me how to do my fucking job, boy. And Radish is like, well, fuck you. If you're not going to do your job, I'll do it. So he slams the phone down, and he's like, I got to get to Courtney. So he runs back to Courtney. Oh, he runs. He's sprinting like the wind. And he gets to her door, her dorm door, and it's closed, and he's banging on it. And all of a sudden, the killer's arm busts through, pulls him into the door, and you can hear him stabbing him through the... Yeah, and it's... A, okay, so let me... I have some problems with this. A, Radish did not deserve this. B, how the fuck did the killer get from that building to Courtney's dorm, into her dorm room, knowing that... Radish was going to show up. See, how can the average person physically punch through a wooden door? That's uh, irrational. It's not realistic, but is it effective? But yes, it is effective. But my my thing, going back to my number one thing, is this character... To kill him off like this, yeah, so quickly and just so like, uh, I don't know. I it's it, it bothers me because this radish is the character that I thought uh, would stand up at the end of the day. Yeah, would step or up to the survive. Plate. Um, yeah, well, especially because he's like he's he says to the cop, he says like, well, if you're not going to do it, I'm going to. I'm going to have to take charge of this, and like he seems so determined to like save Courtney, save the day. And I really think, uh, again, the term endearing comes into play. I was anticipating that this guy would kind of get to get the best of the killer because he's the one that's been following this whole thing. Like, uh, he's the one that told the story of the two uh, students being killed. He's the one that called the police to begin with, with the shooting. He's the one that just found the body. Like, he's, you know, he's kind of having all these moments where it really seems like he's kind of the through story when it comes to... I guess my big problem with his death, okay, whatever, he dies. It's that's I mean, that's par for the course. I've liked a lot of these characters. I like I like I didn't want to see Gary. I I like the character of Gary. I even like the character of Janet. But it's the fact that like he is really billed in this film as being like one of the main characters. I mean, even on like the box art, I think his name is above Cecilia or Cecile Baghdadi's name or they're right together. Um, they're the only two cast yeah. members that are listed in the opening credits. Um, so I'm, I, I find it a little upsetting that they didn't really give him more of a fight. Like I would, I would have yeah, felt better with him dying if he at least had got got to try, try to fight the killer, and he died, he died, he died fighting. Yeah, but to, to do it so like abruptly without him even pathetic, yeah, without him even being able to fight back. To me, that yeah. was just a a wrong decision to make with the character that I agree. that is your like your lead like give yeah. him give him something to do besides just get killed so yeah he has the most uh, likability factor i'd almost mm-hmm. say out of all of them yeah yeah it's a shame so then we cut to lisa who is waiting for the professor so she gets dressed and she gets nude and that's why the film got the r rating that's the one scene that they put in there, they they demanded. Well, they didn't demand, but they well they required that actress to have the, whoever played that character to get it to do to do nudity so that they could ensure the R rating would happen. The producers did, anyways. Then Courtney goes back to her room and she finds Radish. He's like hanging in the door, like through a big like 
crack and like a big hole that the killer punched the door. He's hanging there. And at first she thinks it's a joke, but I'm like, why would you, like, you really think he busted your, right. yeah, your, your door door's destroyed. destroyed. You really think Radish did that, <laughs> knowing who he is? He wouldn't do that. Uh, so she realizes it's not a joke and she starts screaming and running up and down the hallway screaming help me please help me and it reminds me of like Jamie Lee Curtis running in Halloween when she leaves the house and she's running down the street just banging on doors saying help me please help because nobody's there yeah I will say I like Courtney's her first instinct is to instantly like book it and lose her shit and just start screaming, which I respect. She's instantly just like screaming, like somebody help me! Like she's, she, uh, some some girls and slashers make bad choices. We've seen it happen a million times over. Courtney, I feel, is not one of them. I think Courtney makes a series of pretty good choices, as we will discuss. So at this point, it cuts back to Lisa, and this killer is just like he can teleport because he is just going all over this campus within seconds. Because now he's in the room with Lisa, and she's on she's laying in the, this bed with this like silk sheet wrapped around her, and the killer approaches, and she obviously thinks it's the professor, but he stabs the shit out of her, and that's that. And you don't see it; you just see blood like splatter all yeah. over the the bed linens. Yeah, and that's the artwork. It gave me a very Night of the Living Dead, um, yeah. Karen Cooper vibe, you know, like the blood splattering all around as she's being stabbed. Um, very, um, I don't know, we've seen it before. I mean, yeah, the, uh, we've said with almost every kill in this movie, that's not what defines this film. Though with, I will say with Lisa as another character, I was really hoping for a chase scene. Didn't get it. Um, really, like, when it comes to her conclusion, it is pretty uh, lackluster all things considered it's like an afterthought it's like it's like the the it's like they thought they remembered oh shit we have lisa we better kill her uh, she's still she's still she's st- she's still in that room waiting for the, um because because yeah that's the one thing is playing like, the piano 20 minutes like you really have to suspend a lot of disbelief that these that this killer is able just to know a where all these students are and to be there before they are right. or to get there so quickly like it's it's just it's weird like, how difficult would it have been for her to, like, have gotten free, ran for a minute, found the professor dead? Like, you know, just another, like, head count. Like, you have all these, like we said, there's all these characters who've been introduced prior. I, uh, I don't know. I feel like there's some missed opportunities totally. in that final 20 totally. minutes, you know? Um, yeah. Yeah. Courtney, yeah, there is. The Courtney runs to the dorm, and uh, she's screaming for anybody to help her. Nobody's there. We do see the killer shadow kind of descending the staircase behind her, which is interesting, and mm-hmm. it's a cool shot. And then as she's, like, checking rooms, you hear a door slam shut behind her. And she turns around, and it's the door that was just open is now closed. So she's like, uh, Lisa, is that you? So she runs to and opens the door, and the killer standing in this room holding the knife. Just waiting. Just waiting. It's weird. Just waiting. Just yeah, waiting it's like a for a weird decision, because why did he do that? He could have easily just, like, came up and stabbed her she was checking doors but he makes this decision to go slam a door so she can go open the door and see him i don't know anyway she runs out of there and we get a very very good chasing a very fast chasing i don't think we've seen many girls in a slasher book it quite the way courtney books it she's running 
like the Dickens. She is running like the Dickens, and I love this chase scene. The la- the chase scene in this film is probably among the best of of the eighty slasher films. Um, it's it's it really is. It's it's the way it's handled, and it is. There's a lot of stuff to it that makes it, you know, uh, really really good. I think because she goes and she gets she yeah. gets into the uh, the cafeteria, and there's a scene where mm-hmm. she's like hiding. A, the, she hears the killer breaks the window and is coming in. So she's hiding under these tables as the killer like enters the room. It's very like Halloween H two O. Jamie Lee Curtis under the tables as the killer's like walking among, and you don't know where he's at in relation to where she's at. So she's able to get out of the tables and she runs back into the kitchen, and she is she gets on the phone and she's like trying to call nine one one, but she keeps getting an error message. And then now this is where the pulley or the the thing that the dishes or the the cafeteria stuff that was on the what do you call it, the conveyor thing this is where it comes into yeah. play because all of a sudden in the background while she's trying to talk on the phone you see the killer's legs start to come down this so effective yes it's so creepy like this oh and all of a sudden he is behind her and she turns around and screams and um runs away Apparently, though, in apparently on IMDb, she actually stabs him, but they didn't it didn't edit, edit together well, so they left it out. But you can see oh. you, in that shot when he cu- approaches behind her, that's when he stabs her, and there's a shot at, when she turns to run away, it goes back to him, and you can actually see the handle of the butcher knife sticking out of him. Oh wow! Yeah, yeah, that's that. I'm gonna have to look for that because it's. I feel like. Um... Well, first of all, a few things. They, uh, you're saying that this being a great chase sequence, they use this this whole campus location very well. Um, this, uh, like, when she busts in through the into the cafeteria and she's like hiding amongst the chairs and everything, they just do a great job of using the environment um, in the sense of like the like overall scale of violence. There's not a ton. Like, she really doesn't. Uh, even with having cut this, you know, stabbing or whatever. Um, she does a really good job of defending herself. Like, Courtney does a really good job of putting up a fight, beginning to end. I think she, when you say, you know, she's one of the best final girls, is she kind of uses anything. She arms herself with that knife right away. She finds, at one point, she finds a giant piece of wood. Like, anything. She anything to keep this guy away from her. She's, uh, putting it to use. And I think that's a really, um... Uh, uh, strong series of strong choices that are made. That's what I want to see in a final girl. I do wish she'd get some more attention because this whole sequence, you're right. No, I just think that she's really well handled for that last 10 to 15 minutes of the movie. Um, I think she's honestly one of the, the best examples of a final girl fight sequence that comes to mind. And I don't know this movie that well. Uh, so I was really impressed with her character, and, um, that's a shame that the actress hasn't done anything else, because I think she did a really fucking good job with it. No, she did, because even, like, the the very next thing she does is she's running through the thing, and she, like, trying to hide, and she looks into the freezer, and you, you, you think that she opens the freezer door, so you think she goes in there to hide. And as the killer comes to the freezer door, he must have heard it shut, because he opens it, and immediately she busts out of the pantry behind the freezer, behind the killer, beats him in the head with a big old pot, pushes him in the freezer, and shuts it and locks it. I yeah. mean, that's, I mean, 
that's some Jessica Biel Texas Chainsaw Massacre remake shit. Absolutely, um, yeah. And so, unfortunately, it's a double doored freezer. Uh, so for, he just I was just gonna say, door. unfortunately, <laughs> to, yeah, she forgot about the other door because she's she's walking away thinking she's safe. He come just pops right out of the other door. So she runs out of the cafeteria and um, she runs to the bell tower. And now I don't know how smart this decision was by her because she decides to climb the stairs to the bell tower, like knowing that it goes nowhere. So she's going to be trapped. Um, So that's kind of a poor decision Uh, on top of a lot of really good decisions. This is one that I couldn't understand. Like, why are you running to the top of the bell tower when you know if he sees you, you're not going to be able to get away. There's no way to get away. Uh, But she gets up there. and Of course, the killer's coming after her. And at the same moment, the coach pulls up because he's supposed to be picking up the uh, maintenance guy to go hunting because apparently now it's morning, early morning. And um, so she screams out the window, help me, there's a killer, there's a killer. So the coach immediately comes in and he like ascends the stairs and the killer gets up to Courtney and is like getting ready to stab her. And the coach is like, freeze! And he like shoots him with a bow and arrow and the killer catches the arrow. Um, it is, I, I cannot even, exp- my reaction to this moment, I was like, wait, what? Like this isn't supposed to be an average human being down to the down to the point that we could just see his face now clear as day. He's just an average man, but he he literally catches the arrow in midair and then like he like just kind of slowly charges the the coach and like the, the coach just kind of like walks right into the arrow like <laughs> he stabs him with it. Like, uh, yeah, I I was baffled by the decisions made in this. Yeah, yeah. he literally <laughs> stabs the coach with the arrow after catching it midair. Goes back up to Courtney. She's screaming her fucking head off, and he is like getting ready to do his thing. And luckily for her, because it's nothing by her doing really, but he his foot like breaks through the floorboard of the top of the bell tower platform because it's you know old and rotted. So his foot stuck. So she proceeds to grab a 2x4 and begins to beat the shit out of him with a 2x4, knocks him over the railing, and he is like hanging on to the rafter, and she proceeds to like beat his hands until he falls. It really is an impressive climax. (laughs) It builds up to a very impressive moment. It made me almost think of the Black Christmas remake. Uh, the first remake, 2006, the moment where he kind of falls all the way down all those floors down the hospital onto the tree. There's no tree here, but it's still this very dramatic... He falls like five stories. It's really, really cool. Yeah, and it's really well done. It's almost like Vertigo slash Psycho 3 slash where you just see a body just falling down. Uh, and it p- slams onto the floor really hard. And like blood's coming out of his head. And you're like, yes, Courtney, you go, girl. Um, because you like, you know, you want Courtney to live. And, um, so she, you know, goes down, walks back down all the stairs to get out of the building. And as she approaches him, of course, you got to have that one final, the killer's never truly dead because he grabs her leg, but she quickly grabs the butcher knife and stabs him repeatedly. Um, She loses her shit. Understandably so. She loses her shit. She like goes to town. On him with that knife, uh, her hands are covered in blood. Uh, she really earns 
the title final girl by the end of this film. Yeah, she's well. It's well. Here's a little trivia that I found: is she in the film? She stabs him twelve times. Originally, when they submitted it to the ratings board, it was eighteen times. And the ratings board gave the film an X rating because they said it was too violent. So they cut it down to 12 stabbings and it, the film got its R rating. Mm. Which is interesting because I that's, because it was the same. See, this, it, show, it shows nothing. It does not show this knife going into him. It just shows her raising it. You don't even see his body. So I'm like, you, you were going to give a film an X rating for that? Yeah, yet you're going to have a school shooting. You're also going to show, even though it may be a fake school shooting, a school shooting earlier in the movie, but that's what gives you an X. <laughs> She kills him, and uh, she goes and sits on the little step crying, and the credits roll, and that is final exam. And not only do the credits roll, like, she sits down, she starts weeping, and, like, beautiful, piano. like, light piano and, like, string music starts playing. Completely the wrong tone of music for the finale of this film. It's like a song full of hope and joy, and she's just, like... She's the only one left. Just like there's no, nobody else survived. Um, it is a very strange ending, but I'm very happy she made it because she uh, she kicked some ass. That final moment where she's beating him with that like piece of wood, and she just beats him into submission, and he's like hanging from the rafters, and she's like, "Nope, not today, motherfucker." And she, she just, she, yeah, she, uh, she, de- like I said, she earns the title of final she, girl she, in this film yeah, for she, sure. Yeah, she definitely is among one of the better standout '80s slasher final girls, um, yeah. and definitely kind of captures that whole wholesomeness that we, you know, kind of like a Jamie Lee Curtis wholesomeness that we expect final girls to have. Uh, so yeah, this is the the film. The film mainly does a lot of things right. Uh, I I personally appreciate the fact that it takes so long with the characters because you just don't get that with a lot of eighty slasher films. Uh, you don't get to yeah. really care about the characters. I'm glad this one did take the time to do yes. that. Um, it is kind of rushed. All the deaths happen in the last twenty minutes, fifteen minutes. Yeah, and then you know yeah. the killer leaves a lot to be desired. But other, than, but other than that, I, Absolutely. I, I like this film a lot. Yeah. I'll say that I'm very happy that they had such a focus on the characters, but I'd say the amount of focus was almost, it was ended up being at the cost of the violence and the, the, the horror. I mean, the horror at the end of the day. Like, I mean, there's some really good suspenseful moments in this, but there's not a lot of payoff. That final chase sequence is great. I'll give you that. It's great. But there's, uh, it does leave something to be desired. But overall, there's a lot of, Really great sequences in this one, and um, I do very much enjoy it. You're right, the killer is very lackluster, um, but uh, I see a lot of the influences on later films that maybe were more successful mm-hmm. in certain ways, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that is Final Exam. Final Exam, great cast. Great cast, great, I mean, it's, it's yeah, well acted. Um, yeah, script and, great suspense. Script and dialogue is well. The dialogue, at least, is is I think is really good. It's not cheesy. It's not it's not like eye rolling inducing. It's very realistic. Uh, I think the the relationships between the characters is very realistic and very interesting. So yeah, I mean that's final exam. I'm glad you got to see it. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. I uh, I enjoy, I did enjoy it. I did enjoy it. It wasn't necessarily my favorite, but there was a lot to take away from it. Um, and I mean, I'm God, I'm. I'm so curious to see what our next piece of cinema is going to be. Well, I'm glad you asked, Roger, because our next piece of cinema is 
Also, uh, I just wanted to kind of stick with the era. It's also a 19... It's also a slasher film from 1981. Oh, my uh, God. But I think it's one that's a little bit more well-known. But I don't the year see that keeps it, on giving. But I don't see it talked a lot about a lot. I don't see a lot of podcasts covering it, and I'm wondering why. So okay. I thought, you know what? We are going to cover it because it is a trip of a film, and it stars the one and only Mary Ingalls, Melissa Sue Anderson. Oh, wonderful. Melissa Sue. It is. Yes, it is the classic, I think, Happy birthday to me. Happy birthday to you, meaning to me. Meaning even though, to me. <laughs> even though, it's, yeah, it's, you know what? I could, I could, I could, I could have saved it for September when my birthday actually is. But you know what? What the hell? I'm going to talk about it in April. Yeah, Why not? Yeah, I mean, we're close to your half birthday. I'm sure. Yeah. So yeah, it only yeah, makes yeah. sense. <laughs> so yeah, I, I, I'm excited to talk about it with you because it's like I said, it's pretty. It's I think it's a really well known film, but I don't see it talked about. Well, I know it has that really iconic image. That a lot of people associate with it, with the shish kebab. Shish kebab. Yeah, I mean, everyone kind of knows that. It has that, that batshit ending, the batshit crazy ending that we will have to dissect because it is just over the oh. top, just ridiculousness. But I love every minute of it. We like them over the top, don't we? Yes, we do. But, or under the bottom. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, folks, if you have not seen Happy Birthday to Me before next week, please watch it. Um, because we Absolutely. we will have our discussion, and yeah, and remember to uh, if you like what we're doing, give us a rating on Apple Podcasts. Please, please, please give us five star rating. It helps us, and it'll help us kind of um, grow like we are planned to. So yeah, no, that's our goal. And speaking of growing, if uh, if any of you notice any, and I don't know if this will be the case, fingers crossed, not, but if there's any weird audio pops, cracks, or hisses, or anything. Uh, we're trying a new software. I have a new microphone. Um, we have some new headphones. We're going all out. We are. So it, uh, only, the, only best. the best. So only the best. Hopefully here. the audio is better. If it's not, we'll go back to the old way. But I wanted to try something a little bit different. But um, with that, again, please rate us. Please follow us on Facebook, Dark Night of the Podcast. Find us on Instagram at Dark Night of the Podcast. On Twitter at Dark Night of the Podcast. And yeah, just just have some fun. And we are going to. Quickly end this because this is almost two hours of talking about Final Exam. Jesus yeah. Christ. Oh. oh my God. Well, next one, we're going to make it longer. Let's go for three. <laughs> Only until next time. But yes, but thank you guys for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed it. And remember, happy birthday to me next week. Happy birthday to me. Farewell. <laughs>